because God wants to be in charge, not us. Amen? I love what Jesus said in John 3, 8, he said, and he's describing the Holy Spirit here. The wind blows wherever he wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So he's describing the Holy Spirit as a wind. That's actually one of the um, ways of defining the Holy Spirit. When the wind comes, how do you know? It's like, oh, it's kind of blowing this way. I'm looking at the flag, but you don't really know exactly where it's coming from, and you don't know what's going. That's an, an uncontrollable event. When the Holy Spirit begins to move, you can't like, oh, no, you can't do this and you can't do that. Uh, as pastors, we should be able to pastor in a revival. What does that mean? Basically, it means that at times you may have to bring correction. At times you may have to give a little direction, but it doesn't mean you have to control it. And, and let me just say this. When that happens, how many of you know people can sometimes get upset or offended if you have to bring a little correction? Amen. They don't like it. I mean, I don't like being corrected. Anybody love being corrected? It's not my favorite thing, but it's something that happens, has to happen. And, and sometimes, and I've heard this, uh, you're trying to control me. You're, trying to, you're quenching the Spirit. Uh, no, that's not true. Uh, here's the thing. Because of that, because of that messiness and that extra stuff, there are some pastors and some churches, they just don't want to do that. Let me just keep everything in control. Let me keep all the sheep in the pen. That way I can control everything. And so as I was praying about this, uh, I thought of, I got a picture here. This is all the sheep in a pen. How many of you know that's very easy to control, right? Uh, they got the ones coming down the aisle. They got, you know, the ones in the pens just right where they need to be. Uh, you don't really, do you need a uh, shepherd in this situation? Not really. No, you don't need a shepherd. You don't need to, all you need, you can stand up on the rail and you can preach a message right there and then you can sit down. You got everybody where they're supposed to be. I think I've shared this with you guys before. I had a pastor in uh, Colorado. He goes, I wish people were like nails. I could just hammer them where they're supposed to be and they'll stay there. How many of you know we are not nails? You can't, you can't put us where, so in a situation, if you're trying to control it, you don't really need a shepherd. You can just have anybody come along and uh, feed the sheep. Next one right here, this is a, a, a pen that's kind of out in the country. So this looks prettier, doesn't it? And, and you could be a church that says, you know what? Uh, we're going to talk about the great things of God. We're going to talk about freedom, but we're still going to keep you confined. It, uh, when I got this picture, I didn't realize there was one that snuck out because there's always, there's always one of those, right? Uh, but here we go. Even in this situation, you don't really need a shepherd. You just need somebody to lock the gate. You just need somebody to keep them confined in that situation. And then the Lord took me to this picture right here where the sheep are all out in the field. Notice there is no uh, barriers there. There's a tendency for sheep to be able to wander in that situation. Am I right? Remember how Jesus taught about leaving the 99, going after the one? You realize if they're all in the pen, you don't have to do that unless it was this one right here. So, uh, <laughs> but you don't have to go after that. If you keep everything controlled, not only that, when you, the, the sheep are out in the field grazing, how many of you know there's a greater chance for predators to come along? For the wolf to come along, for the, the, the bear, the lion, whatever it is that David killed, uh, you can't, con you don't have to do that in a pen. And, uh, but yet, and let me just say, you may not, I don't, I don't know if I've ever shared this or not. When I was in high school, I was a future farmer of America. How many of you, anybody else was in FFA going up? All right, all right there's a few hands. So I didn't realize it at the time, but I actually raised two sheep. And uh, you're like, ooh, was that forethought for being what you were? No, I wasn't a pastor at that point. I wasn't a shepherd at that point because we kept the sheep in a pen and we fed them grain. Raised them, chased them around, uh, it was funny. My mom helped me one time, and it was snowing. This was actually in West Texas, and we were trying to catch that thing, and I remember my mom uh, kerplunking on the ground. She wasn't happy about that, that little sheep there, but we were not, I was not a shepherd. God did not create us to be in a pen. How many of you realize that? 
He wanted us to be able to walk and to be free and to move in His Spirit. Uh, I think of the great psalm that most of us know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in a pen. Oh, wait a minute. It doesn't say that, does it? It says in what? In green pastures. In green pastures. God wants to have abundance on us, not just to use some old feed and grain that's there. He leads me beside what? Still waters, waters, right? He doesn't just turn on a bucket and say, here you go. He restores my soul. When you're living in this kind of an environment with the Lord, He restores you. He guides you in paths of righteousness for His namesake. And then He says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, guess what? I don't have to fear any evil. Why? You can be out here, but because the Lord's your shepherd, you don't have to worry about the wolf. You don't have to worry about the lion or whatever's coming along. And let me just say, none of Psalms 23 happens inside of a pen. No. But you need a shepherd, right? You need a shepherd in that situation, and uh, here's my shepherd, right? You like my little shepherd? (laughs) We need him in our presence in in that situation. And some of you guys know pastor in Greek simply means shepherd. It's like, ooh, I want to be a pastor. That means you want to be a shepherd. That's really what it is. And, And Ephesians 4 says this, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. All of them are important. Are any of them perfect? Have you ever met the perfect pastor? No, you still have. I heard someone say, not yet, not by me, that's for sure. Uh, But you know what? Those are still gifts God gives to the church in order to help direct and guide people into a stronger, healthy relationship with Him. Amen? Amen. So I'm just going to say, I have felt God opening the gate of the pen for the church today. Not just this right here, but I believe his church across. I mean, the, the revival that was happening in Asbury and in other locations. How many of you have been here? And it's happening in other places. And so my thing is, why not here? And over the last couple of weeks, have you guys kind of sensed there's been a little bit more of a freedom and uh, uh, for God to begin to move? And so we're wanting to see that more and more. And, and, and we want to go, and let me just say, I want to see people set free. Let me go back to my little sheep thing right here. I want to see people grazing, and, okay, not literally, but you know what I mean. Being in the open where God can just bless them. I want to see people be able to be free in worship. I want to see people be free in the use of the gifts of the Spirit. How many of you know that does not happen everywhere? that the gifts of the Holy Spirit can actually uh, flow. I want to see people being free from fear and anxiety, see people freed from addictions, amen? See people free from sin, whatever that sin is. Sin entangles and it hinders us. So as a church, I just want you to know we're going to go after God. What is that going to look like? That might be some extended times of, of worship and prayer during service. I know uh, Pastor Timothy, he gets a song set, uh, but how many of you know we're not going to just program everything like, okay, now you're done, uh, wrap it up. I mean, literally some church, and I understand when you have multiple services, we're a little bit limited in our first service, uh, but you know what? We're not limited in the second service. We can allow the Holy Spirit just to do what He wants, and And if he ends up going a little bit longer in worship, I'm not going to get up there and say, come on, it's chop, chop. It's time to get moving. No, we want to see God move. That might be at the end of service. We may end at noon. We may end at 1215. We may end at 1230. Who knows, right? If we're going after God, we've got to give God the opportunity to move. Does that make sense? And here's the thing. If you feel that you have a word from God, we want the gifts to move. Amen. But, uh, and we have shared this. It's been a while since I've told it, but, but that you would come up and tell either myself, if, uh, Pastor Collins here, uh, Pat or Sean, and just say, hey, listen, I feel like I got a word from God. Uh, that way you can actually get a microphone just like what happened this morning, so everybody can hear. Not only that, that those that are online would hear, because if, if you've got a word from God, how many of you know everybody needs to hear that? Right? That's not just for those that are in earshot and like, what did they say? And, and also, uh, let me tell you this, because I've, I've had this happen, and I think 
think it's probably immaturity. Sometimes people, they feel like they've got a word from God, and they're like, I can't control it. I just got to let it out. Anybody ever hear that before? I just got to let it out. I have to say, uh, no, that's not scriptural, because I want to show you what it says in the scripture. Let me get past all that. 1 Corinthians 14, it says, let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. If you got two or three people prophesying at the same time, how many of you know that's confusion? Yeah. All right, that means that, that there, one person might and then the other person's going to. And then I like this word evaluate because not everybody likes that. Yeah, yeah, you're going to judge, right? Are you judging what I'm saying? This is a healthy thing to evaluate. Sometimes, especially if you're kind of young in the Lord, God may give you a word and you think that word is for everybody, but guess what? That word may be just for you. And, and, and that's not a bad thing to evaluate. Let me just say this. If you're not mature enough to allow what God is speaking to you to be evaluated, then Holy Spirit is probably not speaking to you. Because there's a sign of pride and a lack of humility in that process. It's like, so I have to be okay to allow somebody to evaluate. Does that make sense? So then he goes on to say in verse 30, if someone is prophesying, another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn one after the other so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. So uh, let me just say again, these gifts don't happen in every church, right? And, and we want to be able to allow that, so we have to do it in order so that, so that there is decency. Look at verse 32. He says, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. That means if God gives you a word, you can hang on to it until it's time to release that. It's not like, oh man, I got it, I got to just blurt it out. No, you can, you can wait and do it in the proper time. When God gives you a word, if you feel it's him, like I said, go to somebody, hey, listen, and, and at the proper time, I mean, just this morning, Sean came up, tapped me on the shoulder, felt like she had a word from the Lord. She didn't just sit over in her seat and like blurt it out. It it was like at the right timing, and, and it was encouraging. So I think that's so important. Uh, another example is, uh, and not everybody knows, but Nick is over here. Sometimes he gets a word from the Lord in the earlier in the week, or maybe several weeks before, and he just kind of meditates on it. He was share, uh, sharing about it. He writes it down. He usually sends it to me in an email for me to evaluate does this sound like this is something that God is doing? And uh, as I was preparing this message this week, I just really felt like Nick's going to have a word this week. And, uh, and, and, and there's a reason for it. And I just text him. I'm like, do you have a, have a word? And he's like, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. And uh, then he, uh, and you can share more if you want. He said, but there's a part of it that I don't know if it fits. And uh, after he shared me the part that he's not sure if it fit, I was like, that's like the first point in my message today. I'm like, only God can do that, right? So uh, I'm going to have him uh, share that. And listen, two or three, we already had one word from the Lord, and uh, we're going to have him share uh, what God has put on his heart. And you can... Yeah, as I said, the Lord gave this to me um, a bit about two weeks ago, and then in the last week, really confirmed that I should meditate and before the Lord, which I did to, to uh, try to see what else he had to say. <laughs> and uh, so this is actually the longest prophecy I've ever given, <laughs> which is why I have a stand. So it goes a little longer than you're used to. It's um, a little longer than I'm used to, too. <laughs> but if you'd uh, like to just get yourself in a position of receiving from the Lord... That means closing your eyes. If that just means just putting your spirit into a receptive place, yeah, please do so. Yeah. For the Lord will bring revival to those who seek it. Do you remember the woman at the well? She saw Jesus, and she was not supposed to talk to him. It was considered culturally wrong. But she stepped over that wall. Yeah. And she dialogued with Jesus. And but after about a few words, she went excited 
to the town and she said, look, the Messiah who revealed all things to me. Her excitement, her revival that she had after encountering Jesus revived the entire town. Do you remember Zacchaeus? Who welcomed the Lord into his house, even though he was a tax collector and should never have interfaced with Jesus. The Lord's saying that he welcomed Jesus in. He was excited to have such a man as Jesus to come in. And as a result, he had a wonderful revival of his spirit. And he gave to the whole community. And they all had revival as a result. It was contagious. Do you remember the lame man who was at the gates of the temple? Jesus raised him up through the apostles. And the man walked. The song says, leaping and praising God. And he entered the temple, and the entire temple experienced revival at that moment. And if you recall later, thousands were added to the church. There was a spark in each case. There was an excitement. There was a willingness to step beyond the norm. There was a welcoming spirit. As God has said in this household, not just once, not just twice, but he's led me now a third time to say this. The prayer of Jabez is to be upon you. If you but ask, you merely ask. This time I'm going to say what the prayer of Jabez is in case no one has looked it up since then. For I will bless you, says the Lord. I shall enlarge your territory. My hand will be with you, and you shall be kept from harm, that pain would not be known to you. For the Creator has designed a place for you, a blessing, a land, a place, a position, flowing with grace and mercy that you have known and maybe has faded but he would return now and have that igniting of your spirit and increase. All he would do is merely ask if you ask. For if we do, we will be filled with his spirit. Do not say at this place in your life that you have enough of Jesus. We should never say that. We do not serve a God of enough, but a God willing to pour out his spirit, pressed down, yeah. shaken, and overflowing Amen. into your spirit. But you must be willing to receive yeah. that spirit. For I assure you, there were those in the crowds that were around Jesus. And unlike the others that have been mentioned, these actually were saying to themselves as Jesus walked near, please don't stop near me. Please don't stop in front of me. Yeah. I think it's because some said they did not have time for Jesus. Mm. They did not have strength for Jesus. They did not have the willingness to welcome Jesus fully. The Lord will visit those who align their life with the expectation of the coming of the presence of God. Yeah. Will you align your willing spirit? Yes, you know the Lord. But we're talking about the spirit that's coming in a way that you, it's maybe been a while since you've known that revival in your spirit. Are you willing to align your life, your heart, your spirit to welcome such a Jesus to bring revival into your life. Can you fit revival into your life? For the Lord will visit those of faith, those who walk humbly, and those who show mercy to those who 
love mercy. Yeah. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Yeah. Prepare you the way of the Lord into your heart. Prepare you the way of the Lord into your life. Prepare your positioning, and he will come and visit you. Amen. Amen. You know, as he's saying, prepare in that way. We want to prepare for God to move. We've got to be ready for that, right? And, uh, and, I, and I think really both of the words that were shared, uh, how many of you know God uses our personality? One, you know, I don't think you came with the word planning. It was God gave it to you right here, right? One, God gave it to him a couple of weeks ago. So here's the thing. We want to see, and neither one of those were planned. I want you to know that. I didn't set that up. Oh, I'm going to talk about that. Hey, Sean, can you share something? Hey, Nick, can you? both of them we're hearing from the Lord, and we want to give God room, and we want to do it in the right way, because remember, he says, God is not a God of disorder of peace. In all of the meetings, we want to see order, amen? But we, here's the thing. We want to allow God's Spirit to move, but at the same time, we want to stay biblical. Does that make sense? Uh, the, to answer the question, why not here? We have to pursue. We have to prepare. We have to uh, surrender. Both of those words that came in really uh, uh, complement each other. But the le- as a leadership, we have to allow that. I have to be willing to say, okay, go ahead. If you feel like God's got that, uh, share that. And we want to give that opportunity. And with that, I just want to say, do you want to see God move the way he wants to move? Hallelujah. Amen. Or do you want to contain it? I can't contain it. If we want to see revival, we got to say, God, whatever it's going to look like, whatever it's going to look like, we have to say yes. So I want to share today uh, just a couple of keys to seeing and preparing for God to move in your life. I believe out of the Old Testament and one out of the New Testament, the first one I want to take you to a story out of 2 Kings chapter 4, and it's one day Elijah, who was a prophet, went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she, notice it doesn't mention her husband at this point, uh, but she urged him to come to her home for a meal. And after that, whenever he passed by, he would stop there for something to eat. So she was like McDonald's. Whenever he went by, he had something to eat. That was very nice and hospitable, right? How many of you know we don't do that so much these days? If somebody's walking by and you don't know them, you don't invite them in, am I right? That was not... Uh, the case in Elisha's time, people were very welcoming. Hey, come on into the house ha- and let me give you something to eat. And uh, when they had a meal, it was like when we go to a restaurant, if they serve your food fast enough, how many of you know you can be in and out in 30 minutes? Am I right? It's like, well, give me my food, let me eat it, and let me get out of here. Uh, other cultures, a meal was an event. It wasn't just like uh, I'm feeding, fueling up my car and getting out of here. And especially back then, it wasn't like, hey, have a meal. Let's hurry up because my show's coming on. There was no show. The meal was the event. So when the prophet would come and have a meal, it could have been a two or three hour event. And you can imagine that they're eating the food, but they're hearing stories, they're hearing what God is doing, and it had to be an exciting time. I'm sure they enjoyed that rather than it was when it was just her husband and her eating, and it's like, well, what'd you do today? Well, I fed the sheep. How exciting was that? So when the prophet came, they got to hear other things that were going on, and after that two or three hours, eventually the prophet would have to leave because he's got to find somewhere to stay that night. He's got to to sleep somewhere. So eventually, this woman began to want more than just a meal. And she said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's do what? Build a small room for him on the roof, furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. Her whole idea was not just to bless him, but so that he would hang out longer and not have to rush away. She wanted to do something from the prophet because she was getting... Like, let me just say this. If you have somebody in your home and you're ready for them to go, are you going to build a room for them? Not at all. You're going to kind of stand up and walk to the the door and say, oh, sorry, you guys got to go so early. And they're like, well, I didn't think I did, but now I guess I do, right? They, that wasn't her situation. Something very significant happened here. This woman took the relationship with the prophet to the next level. 
She literally built a room and furnished it so that they would be able to have more time together whenever, they, whenever he would come by and visit. And I believe that when you seek God, and at times you may be content with just a meal with the Lord, oh yeah, I had my time with God. But how many of you know sometimes you get hungry for more? And you're like, oh God, I want more. And, and it's about building a room room. So basically, the first point in your notes, when you make room for God, how many of you know God shows up? If you will make, and I'm talking about, yes, in your own prayer time, at your own house, but how many of you know, even coming together as the body, whatever it is, we want to make room. And uh, I want to say this, until you make room for God, God isn't going to show up. Right? If you don't have any room for God, and that even goes along with the our, our schedule, you know, our order of service. Every church, we got an order of service. Sometimes we don't always write it out, but it's like, if I don't leave any room for God to move, then guess what? God isn't going to move. He's not, he's not going to do it. And so if we want to see revival, somehow we have to make room for God. So I'm going to encourage you to stand up. Uh, I asked uh, Pastor Tim, I've asked the worship team to sing this song. We've sang it numerous times. I will make room for you. Can we make this a prayer today? As we sing this, let's just make it a prayer. There's a, there's a part of it that says this, shake up the grounds of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion. My religion is like, basically, this is how I do things. This is my uh, uh, mold here. How many of you know sometimes we got to break that mold? Sometimes God needs to shake it because it says God's way is better. So as we're singing this, make this a prayer unto him. Amen.
Thank you, Lord. Lord, we make room for you, Lord. Father, we choose to do whatever it takes. Lord God, shake up the grounds of our tradition. Lord God, shake up our religion. Shake up the way, Lord, that we think things ought to be, Lord, so that you can move the way you want to. Lord, these are not just words on a song, Lord God. When we say do whatever you want to, Lord God, we're saying do whatever you want to, Lord God. Father, we choose as, as an individual as, and as a church, Lord God, to say we will make room for you, O oh God. Holy Spirit, we make room for you to move. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue that worship that God is putting in us right now. And, you know, when we make room for God... Here's, here's the thing that we have to realize. It will cost you. Right? That's actually the second point. Making room for God's going to cost you. You guys can have a seat. And uh, you heard it right. It's not like just like, oh, I'm going to have... I mean, remember the verse there. She built a room. They built a room on the roof. They furnished it with a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp, so that he would have a place to stay. And, and I know that they said it was a, a wealthy woman, but how many of you know that in the home of Lazarus? This was an immoral woman that was eating at the home of a Pharisee. Sometimes people confuse those two stories and think it was the same person. Uh, this was not. But here's the thing. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home, sat down to eat, and then a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. 
And it says, Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. Can you imagine weeping that much? And it says that she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Listen, this is a, what it cost her was not just the expensive perfume, but think about this. Her, her name that all we know in the scripture is Immoral Woman. Anybody remember back in high school having to read the uh, scarlet letter that had the A on it that meant that this woman committed adultery? Uh, all we know about her is this, but can I tell you, that's not the end of her story. She was weeping before the Lord, wiping the hair, and and she had to sacrifice. Let me say, to make room for Jesus, guess what? She had to invade somebody else's room. She wasn't invited to the Pharisee's house, and yet she pressed in knowing that Pharisees were really good at condemning, were they not? They were really good at that, and she knows, man, everybody knows my reputation. I'm going to walk into this home, and I know judgment is going to happen immediately. But she didn't care. She wanted, she was going to make room. And one of the things, whatever kind of pride or self-dignity she might have had, she went into that room and she got rid of all of that. I mean, imagine this. Imagine kneeling in somebody, weeping and wiping their feet with your, your tears and your hair. I can't think of any other, more of a humble position to be at than that. I mean, that is like, I, am, I don't care who these Pharisees are. I don't care what they think of me because she already knew they didn't think well of her. But she didn't care. And I know it's so funny. Sometimes, uh, I don't know, if you, if you weren't raised in a church where people raised their hand to worship the Lord, uh, how many of you were not? Let me see some hands here. Mine, I was not. Let me tell you, it was weird for me coming into a church. People are raising their hand. And I remember uh, just entering into worship, and I was going to like, well, I was going to raise my hand, but then my thought was like, oh, no, who's going to see me? Did it, yeah, who's, what are they going to think of me? Anybody else had that thought when you first? Yeah, and so I'm not the only one. It was like, this is weird. I don't know. But I had to finally get to the point where I'm like, I don't care who sees me and I don't care what they think, right? I, I mean, the scripture says, lift up holy hands before the Lord. Why am I so worried about what other people think? What about kneeling before the Lord? Oh man, if I kneel before the Lord, there must think that I'm really, I must have committed some horrible sin or something like that. It's time to stop worrying, weeping before the Lord. And I honestly believe this, that uh, until we get to the place where we don't care who sees us or what they think, then our worship of God will always be calculated and will always be distant. Does that make sense? It's like, oh, you know what? I, well, I'm at home. I can just do whatever, but I'm here. I'm thinking about other people. I'm not really even thinking about the Lord. I'm so worried about myself. I love what King David said in response to his wife who said, oh, you know, you made a big fool of yourself dancing before the Lord like that. Well, he says, I will celebrate to the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this. Amen. And, and even to be humiliated in my own eyes. He didn't care. Yes, he was the king, but he knew who God was. He knew who he was. He was just a poor shepherd boy before God called him to be a king. He knows, he remembered where he came from. And he's like, I'm going to worship. And I want to tell you, my goal is not to make anybody look foolish. You understand that, right? How many of you know God's goal is not to make anybody look foolish? That's not what he's looking for. But I want to say, if pride keeps me from entering into God's presence, then maybe I need to think about what am I willing to do? God, if I'm, not, if I'm afraid to do this, and if I'm afraid to uh, raise my voice to the Lord, if I'm afraid to come and kneel before him, then why am I, why, I'm staying, I'm distancing myself from the Lord. God is not distancing us. God wants us to come near, but I do want you to understand it's going to cost you something. If you really want to make room for the Lord, then we have to be willing to say, God, whatever that cost is, I'm willing to pay it because Lord, I, I want to make room for you. I don't care if it's a financial cost. I don't care if it's a humility cost. That's usually what it is right there. We'd gladly pay not to be humiliated. Am I right? Like, what do I got to pay? Expensive perfume? God, I will pick it up tomorrow. 
but to humble ourselves. And I believe here's the good part, because when we have decided, okay, God, I'm going to make room for you, and I'm willing to pay the price, I'm going to go all in. You see, a lot of times when we serve the Lord, we're only so far in. It's like, okay, I'll get right here. But when you decide to go all in and not hold anything back, you've gotten to the point, I don't care who sees me, I don't care what they think about me, you've made the room for the Lord, you're paying the price. Here's number three, there is an extra blessing, I believe, for those that pursue God. Amen? Amen? There is an extra blessing. You can see this in the Old Testament, you can see it in the New Testament. For those that are willing to go past the outer courts into the Holy of Holies, God has got an extra... God wants to bless all of us, am I right? But those that really pursue and get into the presence of God, there is an extra blessing. Let me... We're not finished with that story out of uh, Second uh, Kings. It says, one day Elisha returned to Shunem, He went up to the upper room where they built. She made room for him, remember? She paid the cost. And he said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shudim, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown for us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or the commander of the army? And she says, what? No, my family takes good care of me. So the question is, what prompted Elijah to want to do something additional for this woman? Because he never offered that when all she provided was a meal. He never like, oh, thank you for this meal. What can we do for you? He never did that. Because like I said, really, there were probably a lot of places that Elisha visited that offered a meal. Uh, they were very hospitable community. That happened probably, but he saw this woman didn't just offer me a meal. She did something even more. She really pressed in. She was willing to pay a price. And, uh, and she basically says, no, I'm good. I'm taken care of. And then later, Elijah, he wasn't, he wasn't content with that. Well, I offered. She didn't want it. He said, uh, ask his servant, what can we do for her? And let me just say this. God is more persistent and wanting to bless us than even Elijah was to this woman. God really, if you understand the nature of God, God wants to bless his kids. Remember when he said, he goes, if you be an evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your heavenly father want to pour out good gifts on you? God wants to bless us, but there's an aspect of us having to pursue him and get in there. And, uh, and he says, what can we do for her? So Gehazi replies, well, she did, first of all, she didn't ask for this, but he noticed she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. He's getting up there in age and we understand, especially back then, if your spouse dies and you're a woman, then you're going to have to take care of yourself and it's going to be a, a hard thing to do. So that's a big deal. And so Elijah's like, great, we'll call her back in. And uh, when the woman returned, Elijah said to her as he stood, in the doorway. Think about this. He says, next year at this time, and we don't know how old she was, but obviously she was getting up there in age. He says, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. And and her response, I think is very common. If you let me explain, she says, no, my Lord, oh man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. She said, no. Can I ask you this question? What have you believed God for that you've stopped believing for because you hadn't seen it? Does that make sense? Maybe there was something that you hoped for. I'm sure that this woman uh, had prayed for a son for many years, and guess what? It didn't happen. It didn't happen. And what happens to us is when you've asked for something so long and for so uh, and not seen it happen, then there's an aspect of us that says, you know what? This is just my lot. This is just what I have. I'm not going to get it. God's not going to open that door. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to worship him anyway. That's a good place to be. But a lot of times we stop praying for the things because we just don't see it happening. And we don't want to, we don't want to keep praying because we don't want to get our hopes up. We don't want to get get it in that situation. But you realize how many of you know, we serve a God that does more than we can ever ask or imagine. Amen. That's the kind of God we serve. Same, he was the same yesterday, today, and 
forever. In the New Testament, we read this verse out of Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, right? Even more than we're willing to let the words come out of our mouth. Like, oh God, I don't know if I can ask this. I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want to get all hopeful about something. So God, uh, I won't be disappointed if I don't ask. Does that make sense? If I just keep it to myself, yeah, I know what my heart works. But I love what it says right here. Not just ask. You may not be willing to ask, but how many of you know we still imagine? We still imagine it. And he's saying, this is the God who can do immeasurably more, more than you ask or imagine, according to his work within us. And so this woman here, who stopped asking probably years ago for her son, didn't even want to entertain the thought in her mind because she just knew this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. She tells him, no, don't get my hopes up like that. Don't, don't get me in that situation. And, uh, and, and like I said, so she no longer asks. So again, I want to ask, what have you stopped believing or even asking God for? What is it that's there? And you're like, you know what? I don't even ask God for that anymore. I, I just haven't seen it happen. Well, I want to tell you, God is about to do the immeasurably more for this woman than she asked. And it says, well, she said that, but she goes, sure enough, the woman became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elijah said. I believe that the same thing is true. God's got something on your heart and you've been believing for it. You, you, you know, but you've stopped asking. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it's 10 years ago. You stopped asking because you're like, oh, I just don't want to get my hopes up. Does anybody like getting your hopes up only to come crashing down? No, we don't like that. And so I want to encourage you, just as the God that can do immeasurably more than we're even willing to vocalize or to imagine, that's the kind of God we serve. That extra blessing is getting into his presence and realizing, God, I don't care what kind of room I got to make. I don't care what kind of cost there is. Lord, I know there is an extra blessing that is available. Amen? What about the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with her tears? She pursued him. It cost her, right? But then look what it goes on to say. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, I like, turn to the woman, but says to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she had washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she had not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. And he says this, I tell you, need to judge, that's just for you to think about. But this woman, she showed much love. And as a result, think about the shame that she carried. Like I said, she was the immoral woman. Everybody in the community knew who she was, knew what she did. And she showed much love. And all of the weight, all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of that got lifted off of her. Amen? How many? of you know, that's an extra blessing right there. That is more. And I'm just going to go ahead and finish it out. 49 and 50. The men at the table, they were so compassionate, right? Said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? But now he finally turns to the woman after he's been talking to Simon and he says, your faith saved you. Go in peace. Isn't that awesome? There is an extra blessing, I believe, for those that will pursue God. We will begin to make room for him. God, uh, if I get down on my knees, I mean, okay, for some of us, we may not get back up. How many of you know what we're talking about? But if I get on my knees, God, what are other people? I don't care what anybody else thinks. If we're going to pursue God, we've got to stop worrying about other people. You know, that extra blessing for that one woman, it was a son. She wasn't asking God for it. She needed that. But God, and God gave it to her. For this other woman, it was forgiveness. How many of you know for some it might be healing? That might be your extra blessing. You've dealt with some kind of chronic illness and you've gone forward for prayer, but you've kind of stopped going for prayer because you're like, well, it hasn't happened yet, so this must be something I have to deal with. This must be, and, and you know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. For some people, it may be just a restoration of joy. You need a refresh, a refilling of the joy of the Lord. Doesn't the scripture say the joy of the Lord is our? 
is our strength. And you're feeling weak because you don't have the joy anymore. King David, after his sinful moment, he says, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's very common for our joy to leave us. Am I right? And so that extra blessing may be just a refreshing of joy, of peace, of, of, of contentment, of happiness, the things that, that maybe have eluded you. I don't know what you need from God, but I do know this, that, that when we begin to make room for God, when we begin to pay the price as we pursue him, then, uh, and, and whatever it is, wiping our te- his feet with our tears, God is going to meet us. And the worship team, I know we're going to, are you guys okay if we go over a little bit, make a little bit of room? Because I want to say this anyway, Timothy, if you can come up or I don't know what you have planned. I want to make some time. I'm moving this thing out of the way. Can I have everybody stand? And, uh, and I know Pat and Sean are coming up and Nick and I don't know, Doris, would you come up and pray for people too? And Listen, if you need to spend some time with God, here, here's another blessing that this immoral woman got. She's not immoral anymore. She's redeemed. But she poured that perfume on Jesus' feet. And think about this. You've got to visualize this. She's pouring the perfume on. She's rubbing it with her feet, wiping it with her hair. How many of you know Jesus had a different smell after that? He had that smell of perfume, but you know what the extra blessing is? Because she did that, not only was she forgiven, but she smelled like Jesus. I want you to think about that. The more you get into the presence of Jesus, the more you begin to smell like Jesus. The more people begin to sense the aroma of Jesus on you. When we keep Jesus at a distance, can I tell you, nobody else in that room had that smell of Jesus on them except for that woman. His disciples were in there. But guess what? She had that smell. And when you get into the presence of God, when you spend that time, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, people are going to be like, hey, you smell different. There's something different about you. You got the aroma of heaven on you. Let me just say, you can't fake that with saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. No, it's the real essence of the Lord, I believe, begins to get on us and begins to flow through us, and other people begin to sense that, like, hey, listen, what's, what's different about you? What is it about you? Because I believe that's what revival is. God begins to change us. God begins to bless us, and then other people begin to get around you, and they're like, well, there's something different about you. I've got people that go to church. I know friends that go there, uh, but there's something different about you. When you've been in the pre- Remember when Moses was in the presence of God, he had to put a veil on? Because the glory of the Lord was shining on him. You know, I don't know what that exactly looks like, but I want you to know when you meet somebody that's been in the presence of the Lord, you can sense it. Am I right? So, yes, we're going to go a few minutes. Listen, if you have to leave, I'm not here. We're not locking the doors. You can leave whenever you want to. Uh, But I just want to encourage you. Listen, if you just need to get into the presence of the Lord. You can, you can be where you're at. You can come to the altars. If you need prayer, listen, if, you're, if you need somebody to lay their hands and pray over you, then we've got several people up here that will do that. Then, uh, then I just want to encourage you. Let's do that. Let's, uh, let's take some time and make room for God. Amen? Amen.